The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 95 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This episode, we are taking a look at two issues. For those of you who are following our WandaVision coverage, you may remember that I discussed some format changes to the podcast in an effort to kind of put issues together that cover a little bit more and fit together as a multi-issue story arc. We will be combining issues kind of as they fit within storylines. In this particular case, we're going to be covering two issues. We may in the future cover three issues or maybe even four issues that may be pushing it a little much, but anywhere from one to three issues, I think, based on really how they flow together. So in this case, we're going to be covering Avengers number 90 and number 91, Judgment Day, and take one giant step backward. Avengers number 90 was written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Buscema, inks by Sal Buscema, and letters by Mike Steven, coming to us in July of 1971. Avengers 91 was written by Roy Thomas, with pencils and ink by Sal Buscema, letters by Art Simic, and coming to us in August of 1971. Starting off with Avengers number 90, it's an interesting cover. It's a very clean cover when it comes to the Avengers and Wasp, but almost the entire right-hand side is dominated by heavy shadows. Now, at least there is quite a bit of definition to the edge of the shadows, so it's interesting to look at. It's not exactly an iconic cover, but it is at least on the stronger end of the work that we've seen so far in terms of covers. Diving into the issue, in the hospital room where the Kree warrior Captain Marvel recovers from his recent brush with death, another threat smashes its way in, allowing neither the alien nor the Avengers who watch over him a moment's rest. The invader is the living instrument of Marvel's far-flung species, a Kree sentry. Sent by Ronin to eliminate Marvel for treason against the Kree, the sentry must now contend with a team of unexpected protectors. So I love the use of negative space. In this opening splash page, it really looks like the Kree sentry is breaking through the page and our heroes are behind the page. It's a really excellent use of a creative panel layout. I also find it mildly entertaining that the sentry decides to introduce itself and its mission. It's not really a feature we always get in our oversized killing machine, so that that's a nice little bit for for the marvel consumer if you will the scarlet witch manages to surprise the sentry by dropping the damage ceiling on him through the use of her hex powers it does little to slow down the machine nor does the attack by the speedster quicksilver prove any more effective now only the synthesoid's vision stands between the sentry and his prey unfortunately in his weakened state vision's only recourse is to increase his mass in an attempt to slow his opponent his plan almost works until vision takes things a bit too far and causes the floor beneath him to buckle sending both the sentry and himself tumbling to the room beneath as we see here, Scarlet Witch's powers are definitely increasing, but in addition to that, and kind of in parallel with it, we also see her wit and her confidence increasing. That's really nice. It gives us a 
a good bit of character development. The fact that we can see this character growing and as she becomes more powerful, she's ever so carefully moving away from that very passive, very damsel in distress kind of character that we've seen in the past with Scarlet Witch. And it's really nice to see her start to make those steps forward. Now, oddly enough here, it's Quicksilver who yells out in concern for Vision. Obviously, the two of them don't really see eye to eye on things, and it's going to become dramatically apparent over the course of this storyline and then subsequent issues. But the reality here is that Vision is an Avenger, and that means something to Quicksilver. Whether or not the two of them have personal disagreements, he is still a teammate, and his well-being is of concern to Quicksilver. Now, when Vision attempts to take out the Kree Sentry, he makes a very human error and it's because he is so energy depleted. Throughout so much of this, we see Vision as being portrayed as not really human, but he's still based on a human being. There's still so much of him that is so very close to being human. And he is capable of making mistakes like this, even though he is this synthesoid, this android creation. Over time, we will see Vision become more and more human. And at times, that will fluctuate fairly wildly. There are times where he is basically a human in everything but his physical appearance. And then there are other times he is very synthetic in his demeanor and his actions. But even when he's in those synthetic periods, there is still this underlying current of humanity or or at least near humanity that really runs through vision and it, it's always really interesting to watch and to take in as as the reader for a moment everyone holds their breath to see who will emerge from the floor first but their hopes are dashed when it's the sentry that rises victorious facing no further resistance the android scoops up marvell steps back out the hole he came through and disappears into thin air. Now, while the Avengers here are kind of regrouping and figuring out what they're going to do, they encounter none other than Carol Danvers. Now, one thing I do want to point out here is that it's a little odd that she appears in civilian clothing and not in uniform as she's typically portrayed as an Air Force officer. That may be a later addition. I'm not quite certain. However, Historically, while women were able to join a secondary branch of the Air Force called Women in the Air Force or WAF, women weren't actually fully included into the Air Force as equals until 1976, which is, happens to be the same year they were allowed to attend the Air Force Academy. Obviously, that is about five years in the future for, for when this issue is written. So that may also have something to do with Carol Danvers' portrayal in this issue. Lacking any leads by which to pursue the Sentry, the Avengers head back to New York. On the way, Rick Jones fills in the Avengers, as best he can, on the history between the Kree and the human race. Thousands of years ago, while most humans were still living in caves and using stone tools, a highly advanced group of humans encountered a Kree Sentry. The same Sentry, in fact, the Avengers just fought. The Sentry identifies the Splinter Group as Inhumans, and on its departure warns that when the Inhumans next encounter the Kree, it may be as allies or as enemies. When the Sentry again awakens in modern times, it, along with Ronan, are confronted by the Fantastic Four and defeated. After this, Marvel is sent on his mission to Earth, eventually turning on his people and dedicating himself to defending his newly claimed home. Fate, however, is a cruel mistress, and after a personal tragedy, Marvel once again found himself in the service of the Kree, and what's more, trapped in the negative zone, only able to switch atoms with Rick Jones for a handful of hours at a time.
So for those Avengers readers who haven't been keeping up with a number of the other Marvel books of this period, this is a really great two-page primer for the Kree, the Skrull, and the Inhumans. It does a a pretty good job of explaining, real briefly, the origins of Earth's contact with the Kree, the prior engagements with superheroes, and finally the evolution of Captain Marvel as a character. We as modern comic readers have portions of this more readily available to us. However, if you haven't read a lot of the older books, this again does a pretty good job of filling in some of these relationships, at least enough that the story makes sense. Now, after... Rick finishes this uh, dissertation, if you will. Vision kind of comforts him, explaining that, you know, all of the Avengers and really superheroes in general are misfits. And I feel as though Vision doesn't really need to explain this to Rick, given the fact that Rick has been involved with the Avengers and really heroes in general for far longer than the Vision has. Obviously, Rick Jones dates back all the way to the first issue of Incredible Hulk, and he has been fairly actively involved in superheroes from that point on with some intermittent gaps in there. But overall, you know, Rick's got a pretty good idea of the kind of people who end up being superheroes or involved in superheroes. So I don't want to say it's patronizing, from Vision, but certainly it is an unnecessary bit of commentary. Now, of course, as the Avengers return home, we see them flying their Quinjet. However, we have yet to uh, achieve a unified look for the Quinjets, and I'm really looking forward to that time because the Quinjet of the week, so to speak, is getting a little old. When they arrive back at Avengers Mansion, the team finds that they don't even have enough time for the tea that Jarvis has lovingly made for them. Instead, they must rush off to Alaska in order to join Goliath in responding to a distress call from their former teammate Wasp. So when the Avengers get there, there is basically a video voicemail, if you will, from Goliath saying where he's gone to and what's going on in general terms. And of course, the Avengers immediately head right back out the door so fast that they basically leave Jarvis spinning. However, I kind of want to know if Jarvis was there... Why didn't Goliath, like, give him the message? I mean, I appreciate the fact that the team is almost out the door as soon as they finish the message, because lately we've been seeing so much debate, and it's really refreshing for them to take just immediate action based on the word of a fellow Avenger. But I feel like also we, we may be rushing things a little bit. With his head start, Goliath arrives on scene first, and Wasp fills him in on the details of her mission. She and Yellowjacket were preparing to study Alaskan wildlife when they lost contact with the scientific station while en route. Knowing they could arrive faster if they traveled via their powers, the pair set off to investigate. On the way, the pair spotted a strange light in the middle of a circle of jungle in the middle of the tundra. Taking control of an overgrown dragonfly, the pair made all haste to check out this environmental anomaly. Suddenly and without warning, Yellowjacket knocked Wasp unconscious and sent her back strapped to the dragonfly while he continued to the, into the jungle below. I know I've said this before and I'm going to say it now and I'm sure I'm going to say it again. I hate when they make Wasp, when they make Janet a damsel in distress. She has proven herself more than capable, but especially in this time period, it feels as though they just have to periodically bring her back down a peg, and it drives me nuts. She's such a good character, and it's really unnecessary. Now, interestingly enough here, we talk about things I don't like about Wasp. This I like about Goliath in that at the moment, he's surprisingly calm and measured when he's talking with Wasp. It's not really his strong suit, as we've 
demonstrated, but it says a lot about the relationship between these two individuals, between Wasp and Goliath. There's a lot of mutual respect. You know, when it was just Hank Pym, Clint, and Janet, as then that was the Avengers, that was it. There was a lot of tension in that team, especially between Hank and Clint. And really it was Janet, it was Wasp who held those two together. Otherwise the team would have self-destructed. So when Wasp is concerned and when she's expressing this kind of thing to Goliath, he knows really the the gravity of, of the situation. And, you know, he takes it seriously. Now, I really love the blinding light panel that we get here, but the idea that Yellow Jacket doesn't have enough time to explain what is going on and instead just knocks out Wasp and sends her home... I find really just beyond irritating. There are certainly some mitigating circumstances, as we will see in the end of this issue and definitely into next issue. Uh, however, this predates Hank's wife beating by several years, and I think it sets a bad precedence. It's never okay to hit someone. Just in general, it's definitely not okay to hit your spouse. And again, even with mitigating circumstances, it's just very not cool. Seeing the remains of the oversized dragonfly... Goliath knows that this is no joke and immediately jumps into action, once again leaving Wasp alone at the research station. Upon his arrival, Goliath is almost immediately attacked by an unknown monster. Although he quickly defeats the creature, Goliath is laid low by a blast from behind. The culprits are none other than Ronan the Accuser and his Kree sentry. Now, I, I do have to say, I really love that Janet points to the giant dragonfly corpse as proof. Like this whole thing is so beyond belief, given all the other adventures the Avengers have had, that she has to point to the physical proof in order for Clint to believe her. Now, in in his defense, Clint was believing her well before that. So I, I greatly appreciate Again, their relationship there. But just the fact that Janet recognizes the absurdity of the situation and feels the need to point it out really just amuses me. Now, of course, you know, we're into the Kree Scroll War, and why wouldn't Ronan and this Kree sentry just be hanging out in this random Arctic jungle? Why, why not? Where else would they have to go? It's not like there's an entire universe, several galaxies at least, worth of, of places for them to hang out. No, no. Moments later, the remaining Avengers, Rick Jones and Wasp, arrive on the scene and are similarly attacked by the alien sentry and his new ally, Goliath. The Avengers attack both foes repeatedly, but are rebuffed each time. While the battle continues, at the center of the jungle, Ronan brags to Captain Marvel about the Kree Evo rays that will hurl all life on Earth back thousands of years on the evolutionary ladder. If that weren't enough, the Avengers have been driven back in a disorganized retreat, and Wasp has been discovered by a de-evolved creature that used to be her husband. Things are looking down, and Ronan stands on the edge of victory. So through this fight, I really appreciate how quickly the Kree sentry adapts to Vision. This turns into one of those situations where the Avengers are going to have to think their way out of a situation instead of fighting their way out. Yes, Goliath being controlled is a little bit on the cliche side, but it forces the Avengers to take a different approach to the fight. There is no way at this point that they are going to outmuscle this particular pair. They have to outbrain them. So here in the end, I don't really necessarily like that we have a page of effectively pure exposition, but it at least gets 
a lot of the questions out of the way so that when we jump into our next issue, we can kind of roll forward without having to deal with any kind of further explanation. Now, we will get some further explanation because, you know, there was a month in between issues 90 and 91, and at the time, you know, people forget things over a month. So, so they frequently had these little refreshers, but overall, the amount of explanation at the end of this issue significantly reduces the amount of explanation we get at the beginning of the next issue, which I appreciate. This issue definitely ends with some uncomfortable connotations. I'm not really digging it. It's not a great place for a cliffhanger. I think if we had cut it a little bit earlier or pushed it a little bit further, we would have been a lot better. And in general, this is not the best issue, but it's certainly not the worst issue that we have we have read. Things don't exactly tie together smoothly, but again, it's not a modern comics event. This is not House of M. This is not Civil War. You know, these are not the, the hallmark comic events that we think of. The reality is that it's a lot more of a continuous story arc, and even that is kind of loose at times. The transition into the larger story is a bit rough, but you'll see once it gets its feet, it starts moving pretty pretty cleanly from the, the next issue forward. Now, where I think the ending of this particular issue goes wrong is not so much the general plot, but in the very distinct caveman dragging a a woman away, almost, and I hate to say this, rapey kind of vibe going on with this final panel. A creature in shadow would have made for a more ominous and less creepy conclusion, and the reveal could have been saved for the next issue when readers didn't have a full month to fill in the gaps with their own imagination. I'm starting to discover really how difficult it is to find the right place to end an issue when you're in the middle of an ongoing story. This might actually be one of the most difficult things in comics. It's like setting up a page reveal, but it's even more difficult, and quite honestly, it's got a lot higher stakes. And unfortunately, in this issue, I don't think they really pull it off. Moving on to our next issue, Avengers number 91, our cover is not very impressive. For one, Ronan is way, way, way off-color model. That yellowy-green is just not even close. The Kree Sentry looks off in its physical proportions. Its shoulders seem to be a lot more bulbous than they should be. And looking at the back of the Avengers' heads is just not really a great way to start off the issue. Diving in, things are looking bad for the Avengers. Scarlet Witch, Vision, and Quicksilver are being driven back before the combined might of Goliath and the Kree Sentry. Elsewhere, Wasp lies unconscious before the de-evolved creature that was once her husband, Yellowjacket. And the captive, Captain Marvel, is forced to watch the Kree criminal Ronin the Accuser gloat about his anticipated victory. Now the opening splash page here is slightly better than our cover. It's not overly impressive still. I think the layout has a lot more potential than it makes use of, but it's not awful. I do appreciate the, the center where the title is and how they warped the text to go along with the globe or kind of bubble shape to it. As I mentioned, you know, we do get some catch-up narration. Ronan's narration is, is kind of annoying here, and it's especially over the top for the caveman scene, which in general isn't a particularly great scene, but it 100% does not need the extra words. The story just could have been done with greater effect without using those words. And to be perfectly honest, there's not a whole lot about Ronan in this particular issue that's giving me much enjoyment. You know, he spends most of this issue running his mouth and saying very pointless things things. And it really feels like it never ends. To be perfectly honest, it's going to go on for the next six pages of just Ronin narrating things in a fairly useless manner. And I just, 
don't think we need it. Yes, we're in an era where there is a lot more, that comics are a lot more word heavy, but I think back to, I think it was Ed Brubaker talking about some of his early comics and how he looks and he, go, and he talks about if he were to write those same issues now or at the, at the time of this interview, they would probably have half of the words that they do. Again, with comics being the visual medium that they are, you can do so much more storytelling with so fewer words, with so many fewer words that it really can be more effective. And not just effective, it really is kind of an efficiency thing as well. You know, the reader is not stupid. They can fill in a lot of the gaps. We don't need this constant narration. As Yellowjacket hefts his club above his head in order to strike down the helpless wasp, a glimmer of recognition sweeps across his face. The moment of hesitation grows until the creature lowers its club and decides instead to take Wasp back with him back to his lair. Although Ronan is at first disturbed by this turn of events, his concern subsides when he determines that Yellowjacket is merely looking for a mate. Even with this realization, however, Ronan wonders if further tests are necessary in order for Yellowjacket and the other de-evolved creatures. This information is vital given that the entire world will soon be under the sway of the Evo Rays. The situation continues to remain dire for the remaining Avengers. Breaking into pairs, Rick Jones and Scarlet Witch attempt to take down the Sentry, while Quicksilver and Vision focus on their teammate Goliath. Using his phasing power, Vision is finally able to bring down the giant-sized Avenger, allowing the whole team to focus on a single threat. Even with this advantage, however, the team is quickly driven back as the Vision is knocked out, Scarlet Witch rushing to his side, and Quicksilver and Rick Jones retreating before a wall of flames projected by the Sentry. In their haste, the pair have left behind three of their comrades to be captured by the Kree. So obviously Vision brings down Goliath once one of his fairly standard phasing his fist through someone attacks. I get it. It's kind of Vision's thing. It works. I kind of wish we had been able to come up with something a little more creative than that. But I also appreciate the fact that we just need to get the story moving at some point here. Now, on the flip side of that, the attack doesn't work with the Sentry, which is nice because that would have just been a little bit too much, too cheesy. Also, we have the fact of Scarlet Witch rushing Division's aid, which is showing us just adding to our, our growing library of evidence of their impending relationship. I also really like that she gets to have a chance to bemoan the situation because she accidentally gets taken up by Vision. Now, one of those times I think there was a little bit of miscommunication here between the art and and the, the text of the, the issue is we have Rick telling... Quicksilver to run away, but then a, a panel later we see Quicksilver having to pull Rick away. It, it just seems odd that Rick would tell him we have to leave, but then have to be pulled away himself. Taking a moment to collect themselves, the pair notice that they are not alone, but that the three de-evolved humans are nearby, the technicians the Avengers were in search of. Back in the Kree Tower, Scarlet Witch and Vision are tied up together so that they may watch Ronan's triumph. As the pair regain consciousness, Wanda attempts to confess her love for Vision and leans in to kiss him. Sadly for her, Vision turns away and insists that they must not since he is an android and she is a human. The situation provides no small amount of amusement for Ronan. Okay, all right, all right, you got me, you got me. You, te you teased the kiss, you got me, you pulled me back in. I didn't want to like this issue. I, and I, and I, in the end, I really, I'm not a huge fan of this issue. But that one, I mean, the kiss, the, the teaser kiss panel there just looks great. I really, 
feel the the building romantic tension there and then it gets dashed away and you know obviously i'm recording this in the middle of wandavision so you know i'm certainly invested in the characters but i've I've always found this this relationship to be a a a really interesting one and, and one i really want to succeed even though i'll most of the time it really it really struggles but just seeing this relationship beginning to build and and knowing where it's going to go and and meaning that in so many different ways uh, i mean they just they they got their hooks in me on that one back in the wilds of the arctic jungle the three de-evolved technicians are attempting to fight yellowjacket for control of his prize the lovely wasp even with their caveman strength the trio are no match for the creature who was once an avenger as the kree observe this captain marvel declares that they will never truly defeat the human race so long as emotions like love run so deeply surprisingly ronan agrees with this to marvel's horror ronan reveals that his plan is not to merely de-evolve the human race by thousands of years but in fact to de-evolve them back to the primordial ooze from which they came. As much as I loved, you know, Vision and and Scarlet Witch just about ready to kiss, I cannot bring myself to care about Caveman Yellowjacket. I love Wasp, but this subplot is just miserable. It comes off as, as a bad cover for a super toxic relationship. And I cannot care about this. As far as Ronan is concerned here, I really kind of wonder, like, why is it, why would you bother trying to send humanity back to their primordial state? Like, this is a very, very complicated way of just trying to wipe out the human race. And given the technology of the Kree, that shouldn't really be an issue. They should just be able to come and bomb our planet to glass and not worry about it. Instead, they're going to de-evolve us back into goo. Eh, That seems kind of a waste of time. There are far more effective ways to to wipe us out than, than that. Outside of the tower, a determined Quicksilver drives a metal bar through a wall in order to make his entrance and rescue his sister and teammates. And as Quicksilver provides a distraction, Rick Jones manages to free Captain Marvel and uses his wristband laser to damage the central control panel, causing a chain reaction within the tower and its power source. So overall, I'm not really sure that that Quicksilver's plan here would work, but I like his spirit. I like his chutzpah. You know, he's got not a whole lot going for him. He's fast. That's about it. And apparently now he has a metal bar that he found lying next to this tower. And at that point, at least in his mind, he has enough for a plan and he just goes with it. Sure, there is something to be said for speedsters being impulsive and that this is a prime example of that impulsivity. However, comma, you know, the man is willing to work with what he's got. And you gotta give him some kind of credit for that. Having said that, I swear to God, every time that Quicksilver says that he is too fast to be stopped by someone or something, it it is literally him preparing the reader to watch him go just flying across a room because the unstoppable force has met an immovable object. And it turns out the immovable object is the one that won. And Quicksilver just goes all the way across the room. Today, before recording this podcast, on my way out of work, I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. I stepped in some mud, slipped, and I also went sprawling across. Uh, in this case, it wasn't a room, it was a sidewalk. Uh, so I, I I get Quicksilver's pain here. Uh, literally, my 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 ankle still kind of hurts. But, you know, I didn't have a really good reason to to see this one coming. At this point, it's happened to Quicksilver enough times, he, he should kind of see this one coming. 
In this moment, as if things couldn't get any worse for Ronan, he receives a transmission, saying that the Kree are now at war with the Skrulls. Knowing that his people need him, Ronan teleports away, leaving the Sentry and the Avengers to fend for themselves. So, in like 30 seconds, things went from looking really good to Ronan to going really sideways on him, without any kind of warning. To be perfectly plain, he's, he's pretty screwed here. Staying at its post, the Sentry attempts to save the tower, but fails and is destroyed in the process. As the Avengers escape the tower, they find Wasp and a restored Yellow Jacket making their way to the tower. As the tower sinks back into the ice, the Avengers are left wondering if the Kree will ever try to meddle in the affairs of Earth again. Well, of course they will. We know that. As we see, uh, the Arctic is not going to take long to recover from, from all of this. But it, it is worth noting that there are also those three technicians that have also been restored now that the Evo rays have been taken care of. And those individuals will have at least a small part to play in the not-too-distant future. And it's kind of an important part. So overall, this is also a, a pretty rough issue. The really only redeeming quality to this issue is that it opens up the scope of the story, right? At this point, the, the scroll have now entered the at the end of the issue, and we find out that important things are happening outside the limits of the story as we have seen it so far. So we go from kind of a cosmic incursion really to the, the much broader cosmic war and into the general space opera that we're really trying to get to. So the issue serves as a transition. It's just that kind of everything else around that transition is really not all that great. And then the caveman side of this story is just plain awful. You know, I don't talk about the concept of toxic masculinity very much because I think the phrase is tossed around so much that we've gotten to a point where it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really apply uh, to a lot of the situations people seem to throw it into. But I mean, this plot is just drowning in it. In addition, it also highlights the worst parts of Wasp and Yellowjacket's relationship. And as we see, as terrible as he becomes, Wasp can't do anything useful in her own care and in her own defense. And the story actually goes so far as to point this fact out, which is just bad. It's awful. I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words as to just how frustrating this part of the story is, especially as a modern reader. You know, in the 1970s, I don't want to, it's certainly not a good thing, but I can see it as being more societally acceptable. But as a modern comics reader, there is just so much wrong with so many portions of that subplot that it is just on the verge of being repellent. So as I said, overall, uh, for our two issues, had I decided to do our format change a little bit sooner. I actually would have paired this with issue number 89. I think 89, 90, and 91, the three of those really function very well together as a kind of miniature story arc within the larger arc of the Kree Scroll War. As we continue through the Kree Scroll War, I intend to be taking this a couple of issues at a time. I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but I believe I'm looking at probably two issue chunks through most of the Kree Scroll War. I think based on just how the the story itself kind of falls and breaks down. Now, having said that, obviously I am kind of experimenting with the format here a little bit. You know, I realize I have not been able to record as frequently as I would like to. I, I do apologize. I had no idea it had been quite so long uh, between 
episodes until a couple of weeks ago when we started doing our WandaVision episodes. I did not realize how long it had it had been. So I again, I, I do apologize for that. But this way, I feel it'll be easier to kind of connect a lot of story beats and things like that. You know, for my end in terms of the the research and the scripting and all that kind of things it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference one way or the other how we go about doing this but it's it seems to me to be a little bit more of a cohesive approach to to these issues so that that's really kind of where this is coming from i absolutely 100% invite all of you to to provide me some feedback. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you want to try and give it a couple of, of, of episodes? I certainly understand. Obviously I, I do this because I enjoy it, but I, I would also like you guys to enjoy it. And if there is a way that I can improve that enjoyment, then I would certainly love to hear from you about it. Uh, and, and with that in mind, remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are going to be diving further into the Kree Scroll War. Again, I apologize. I don't have uh, the specifics for which issues we're going to be covering, other than, obviously, uh, Avengers 92. All right. Hey. All right. Good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.